We know how much you love talking about player feedback, and we do too. What's up, everybody? This is Let's Talk Customer Feedback, and I'm your host, Natalie. Thanks for listening, and thanks for telling your player insights preference about us. This is season three, so let's get right into it. The gaming industry expects another booming year in both excitement and sales. But with the launch of many new games comes the realization that the market becomes even more crowded and the bar is raised yet again in all aspects, including games complexity levels, design, story, and character features. So, can leveraging player feedback help with this? Let's find out with today's special guest. Hello, hello everyone. Uh, and today uh, we're going to ask, how do you balance the user requests and needs with your product strategy? So uh, welcome to today's episode. Uh, my name is Itamar, I'm today's host, and I have the pleasure today of hosting Rizwana Rahman, who's a technical lead product manager at Intel. So first, uh, let's say hi to Rizwana. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well. It's great to be back on another episode of the Avogadro podcast. Thank you for having me. A real quick question for you, Itamar. I observed that your LinkedIn title says Growing Pies. Is that a reference to data analysis via pie charts or splitting shares among shareholders? Yeah, it's a, so this is a great question. Um, and the, the fact that you need to ask it means it's probably not a great subtitle, but it refers to growing the pie for all stakeholders, right? Because, I mean, you know, there's, there's the, you know, the, it's not only an expression, it's a way of thinking, right? You can aim to get a bigger piece of the pie or you can aim to grow the pie. So, you know, I always try to grow the pie. So I thought it's a nice reference to that, uh, but it's probably not clear enough to, to be honest. It is, it is really good. That's great. I was also looking forward to asking you this. What's been your best learning as the co-founder of Afogada? Oh, that's a great question. So best learning in general, like overall? Yes. So I would say, so there's so many possible answers to that, right? I think one thing that is kind of high level, but I would say it's been very meaningful to me. The, the, my previous company that I started was a consumer facing company, right? And I also started another B2B company, but it was more of a kind of a mass B2B. It was like a lot of small businesses, SMBs and small businesses. So before I forgot, I didn't uh, start myself a company that is a B2B company that works with, you know, enterprise type customers, right? Where you have a totally different relationship. And I think that has been, you know, my biggest learning was around that, the processes, different aspects of, you know, managing everything from your team to the roadmap, just the kind of relationships that you have with customers. It can be very rewarding. And also very demanding, right? In a good way, because you have, you know, you have customers who are, each customer is a, is a very high value. They have, um, you know, expectations which are in line with that. Uh, and I think it has been a super interesting uh, learning process. It's also a very different pace compared to uh, the models that I described earlier. So I think that learning things around that definitely has been probably my, the biggest thing for me. Thank you for That's, asking. That is very insightful, Ithamar. Thanks for sharing. And I do have a great admiration for entrepreneurs. 
Uh, well, you know, we are all entrepreneurs. Each of us, you know, like uh, is an entrepreneur within the context that they operate, right? You always have stakeholders and who you're reporting to and who, you know, you owe who to answer to. So I think it's it's much the same in, you know, within companies and uh, when you start uh, like a small company or a bigger company or whatever it is, I think we all, uh, it's, it's a point of view more than uh, a thing that you do, I think. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you so much for asking these questions, but I want to I wanna hear from you. So uh, before we dive really into player insights, we'd love to hear a bit about you. Can you please tell us uh, how you got to the industry and uh, where you are today? Before we get started, I wanted to mention that I'm not representing Intel Corporation and not speaking as their official spokesperson. Going back to your question of how I got into the industry and where I'm today, I wouldn't be where I am if I hadn't started as an engineer. Perhaps that is through the inspiration of watching my father tear apart electronic devices and build them back up again. Fast forward, I did my undergraduate in electronics and communication engineering, but took a couple of computer engineering courses in graduate school. That inspired me to change my majors, and it was a shift in the beginning, but I was intrigued with embedded engineering. It gave me an insight into how to make hardware work with software and all the various components to make any electronic device functional. My current focus is product management with the added benefit of being technical because of my engineering background. I emphasize the engineering aspect since it really helps in knowing and breaking down the product cycle based on how big or small you want to go with your product in what amount of time. As I manage products for programs, I've seen products at the cusp of engineering, design, user experience, product, manufacturing, and sales and marketing. I've learned a lot through working at numerous Fortune 500 companies like Siemens, Barclays, GE, Sony, and now Intel. So I think this is amazing. I think it's, uh, you know, thank you for sharing that because I think mm -hmm. what you described as you, you know, you watch your father work with these electronics. That's very inspiring. And I think, uh, you know, we have, there's a lot of different types of product management and definitely a lot of, you know, different, uh, different kind of uh, product stakeholders who will listen to the podcast. And not everyone is as technical, right? So mm -hmm. I think it's very interesting to hear for someone who's really started from that, uh, that kind of uh, that origin and gets to do these type of things, you know, obviously for uh, extremely technically uh, capable companies. So thank you for sharing that. I think this is really awesome. Um, and before we actually start the questions, we have an interesting story. So let's just uh, take a quick break for that. And we'll be back uh, right after this interesting story. An idea. If you were about to launch a new multi-million dollar video game, what would be the best PR stance to get people excited? If you said hire a guy to put on a mask and wave a gun around in a crowded bar, well, you probably work for the bone-headed PR team behind Ubisoft's 2010 video game Splinter Cell Conviction. Yes, to drum up anticipation from the game in New Zealand, Ubisoft hired an actor to dress up like an enemy from the game, enter a popular Auckland bar, and wave a fake gun in people's faces. While the cops were inevitably called, and the actor was almost shot. As far as ill-advised PR stunts go, 
anything that warrants a 911 call probably, probably shouldn't make it past the pitch stage. Thank you for joining me and see you next week on Tales from the Feedback Crypt. So, with that story in mind, uh, we really can't wait to finally hear what Rizwana has to say about all this stuff. So, uh, let's get started. So, we'd like to start, you know, as our first question. Uh, can you kind of help us, our listeners, um, get to know a bit your current roles, your current things that you're busy with in your career? I'll be happy to. I'm currently a technical lead product manager in the gaming and graphics product group at Intel. In this role, I'm learning how PC gaming and the components around it are so different from console gaming and the added opportunities that PC gaming has around modding and streaming. Although statistically, the percentage of console gamers is slightly higher than PC gamers, PC gaming provides you more options for customization based on the games you would like to play and the performance you would like to achieve. Intel has been cognizant about the needs of gamers and recently launched its first discrete GPUs to enter the graphics industry. This is an exciting step for Intel. I'm also on the advisory council for the executives programs at California State University, Chico. I've had the privilege of meeting top executives from diverse and innovative backgrounds who are also on this council. I would also like to share that I recently presented a case study for the executive program, which was super fun. And I shared with them the learnings of my research about an online fashion retailer called Zalando in Europe. In a nutshell, this console builds the business community by offering expert guidance to faculty and students. It promotes program goals of linking industry to academia and enhances the reputation of the executive education by strategic reviews. Wow. Okay. So thank a lot. Thanks a lot for sharing this. This is, uh, I think, first of all, it's beautiful that you're kind of doing, you know, those things that are also educational and enriching other stakeholders. So it's great to hear about that. And I think obviously a lot of our listeners are very passionate about uh, gaming hardware and definitely, you know, about GPUs. It's uh, after all, uh, while we're not a technical podcast, obviously it's very important for the gaming experience to to have. Uh, the latest and greatest, and we've definitely seen a lot of uh, interesting innovation. Uh, well, I mean, for the last years, for sure. But uh, I, I guess if you look uh, further over a very long period of time, it's amazing to to think how much we've progressed. So it's good to hear from uh, the people who are making it uh, making it work. Mm-hmm. So thank you. thank you. Yeah. So thank you for sharing. And uh, so for being a product manager, we know it's not an easy role because you have to balance a lot of things out, right? And especially you need to figure out basically what features the company should be building, right? We talked about just now about, you know, those, those different constraints. Uh, mm-hmm. It's on this decision. And we would love to hear from you a bit about uh, how do product managers build the roadmap in your experience from your perspective? That is a really good question, Itamar. I have observed different approaches being taken within different organizations. And it varies within teams as well. In my personal opinion, it is good to take a robust and focused approach before you push your feet on the accelerator for building the product roadmap. If you know why and what you're building, it's like having a North Star to guide your efforts and decide prioritization for the roadmap. 
Recently, I took a product management course at Kellogg. The experience provided more insight into how successful companies use the structure of determining the vision, values, methods, obstacles, and measures first. During the case studies, I learned how Salesforce does it well. And I believe they started in 1999 with the vision of creating a world-class internet site for Salesforce automation. Once you have that down, it's beneficial to draft out the product strategy and then start thinking through the roadmap. It's a more intensive exercise when you are identifying an opportunity for a product, which is a market fit and can generate revenue. On the other hand, if the product needs to be expanded, then the roadmap is more along the lines of including improvements, fixes, and new features, or sub-products keeping in mind the vision for the product. One of the products I enjoyed working on the most was the PlayStation 5. As part of feature road mapping, I went through an exercise of putting together the list of improvements, bug fixes, near-term and long-term plan. Well, uh, so obviously PlayStation 5 is a product, uh, a greatly admired product, and uh, I think a lot of our listeners obviously um, enjoy that uh, product very directly. So it's uh, it's beautiful to hear about that. Uh, and these are, you know, these are definitely very, it's very interesting to hear how, uh, you know, the sausage is made, so to speak, right? Because there's a lot of these different approaches there, uh, a lot of balance that you really need to take care of, which I think is a kind of a key key element of product management. So uh, we would love to hear, in your opinion, how much should companies really listen to their customers uh, versus relying on their gut instincts and, you know, strategic vision to really shape the future of the product? Because these things, you know, can be... Uh, not always in ha- harmony, right? Customers may have specific mm-hmm. desires and obviously the customer is always right. However, the customer doesn't really know the strategy of the company or where the technology can lead or what even is possible. If you think about, you know, highly technical solutions like the one that uh, you you are you worked on. So how, how does it done? Or maybe, you know, there's a trick uh, in balancing both. It's essential for companies to listen to the customers to know their pain points or problems. There are always multiple solutions to a problem. Um, This is where vision is needed so that you are selecting the right solution as a product so that it lies at the intersection of the product market fit, company capabilities, and the revenue generation capabilities for business. As far as the gut instincts or intuition goes, it can be one of the factors to help identify a product opportunity. However, the product needs to fit the market, be achievable for the company, as well as generate revenue. I strongly believe as you analyze these three areas, the decisions should be data-driven. It's important to listen to the customer feedback and use gut instinct for identifying a product opportunity, among other factors. but not use it as a major driving force to set the vision. Hmm, got it. So uh, I guess the answer in a way is, uh, you know, there is the balance, but it's a question of how to apply it. Okay, so uh, let's, uh, let's continue and dive more deeply into that. So um, you have been in a product role for a very long time, uh, and I think uh, our audience would really appreciate if you could share some tips. Uh, having, you know, doing this balancing act, I'm sure you've learned quite a bit over the time. So what would be your top tips for incorporating customer feedback in your, into the product? 
uh, and really doing that without completely derailing the, pro the roadmap. Customer support is one of the main hubs of receiving customer feedback. Um, it forms a great input source for identifying an opportunity for a solution or a product to a problem. Recalling from one of my experiences at GE, during my Lean Six Sigma training, which is a certification for industry professionals to learn how to improve performance of a process or product by eliminating waste and defects, I use the voice of customer tool to gather essential insights from customer feedback. That tool is the basic building block of learning who provided the feedback and to understand what needs to be solved and why. Based on one of my reads about Amazon, and I believe it was from the book, The Everything Store, around uh, 1997, Jeff Bezos himself reached out directly to his customers. He wanted to expand the company and he his reach basically was to know from his customers what they would like Amazon to sell. During that process, he realized the power of selling anything through the store. That is how electronics, toys, and many other categories got added over time, which was a complicated undertaking and was very successfully done, like we can see right now in the Amazon app. The future product roadmap can be realized by leaning on the customer feedback, although their feedback should help your strategy and not drive it. It's important to balance which voices are important to the company goals. Some feedback can really win over the customers, and that could be a small customer base. And sometimes the product roadmap has infrastructure changes to scale, which are important as well. So in short, I would say gather the feedback proactively, understand the problem and need, identify opportunities to help the goals, and, and incorporate in the roadmap based on the priority. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, I have to say, it's uh, it's really impressive to hear how, you know, even in a company, I think, you know, a lot of people that, you know, if we, we talk about, you know, the, the game industry and uh, the industry that uh, we usually work with, you know, those are kind of, you know, not a lot of them are familiar with processes in a company like GE, right? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to hear how even at, you know, this type of companies, the voice of customer plays an important role and there's tools to work with that. So uh, I think it's always useful to hear about those methodologies that existed for a long time and they keep improving, right? Like uh, mm -hmm. Six Sigma is obviously a, a great example. So it's really amazing how far back that goes and how meaningful that can be. So, uh, so thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. And based on that, based on your experience, what are uh, the top three customer insights that in your opinion, can bring uh, the biggest impact to a team? Customer insights uh, play a very crucial role in improving products and services, which in turn increases the customer satisfaction and adds to the brand value. I would say one of the top three customer insights that can bring a team the biggest impact is customer behavior. And again, recalling from one of my experiences, uh, which was during the field trips at GE, my observations of how a service call was handled helped me learn the behavioral patterns. These insights helped me find 
what could be done to improve the service and reduce costs for the business. Another very important insight is the path to personalizing customer experience and providing customized services. We observe this when it comes to the Amazon app. Based on your search patterns, the suggestions are tailored and customized for you. Another example is the fashion retailer in Europe that I mentioned at the beginning of the talk. The company is called Zalando and they scale their data collection and analysis, which help them in knowing the best and worst selling products, determining customer lifetime value, and also help them with pricing estimation models. Another important insight is predicting churns or attrition and entering new markets. One good example of a proactive approach to it is to expand the offering of subscription-based services. You see that Amazon recently added the free Amazon Music to the Prime subscription. So thank you very much for sharing. And as a product manager, how do you think reports from a customer-facing team, uh, for example, the community team, the support team, how do you think these things can be handled and integrated into the product strategy? Uh, Because, you know, it's a lot of information. It's kind of hard to distill. But uh, it's something that you obviously want to take into account. So how do you think uh, that can be done? That is a really good question. The customer support or subject matter experts from customer-facing teams are essential key drivers to learn about the the voice of customers. Collaboration with the customer support teams helps you learn about the sources of the reports. As in, were those reports collected passively? Um, For example, through reviews on services like Trustpilot, Amazon, social media, or collected actively via interviews, surveys, chats, or community channels. I have observed how Trustpilot was used by a service at Costco for a trading program and how the reviews are attended to connect the users with the right people for resolving their issue. The reports help you identify frequency and intensity of a particular program, which is important for customer attention and satisfaction. This is when your product is out in the market. The reports are also helpful for customer acquisition and new opportunity identification. It helps in filtering the must-haves and nice-to-haves as a part of the product strategy. Got it. Yeah, that makes uh, a lot of sense. And it's, uh, again, really interesting to hear how this is done across so many different companies. So this is a a great perspective. So what determines how quickly you get to an insight? You say, you know, it's important to listen to customers, it's important to take that into account, but uh, that sounds like a lot of work. So what is usually the most time-consuming element of that work? Um, And how do you get to an insight actually? How does it actually look like? Uh, Let me actually... When we talk about insights, let's break it down into two parts. One, insight for fixing a problem or complaint for an existing product. And two, insights to identify opportunities for a new product. With active insight via interviews, chat surveys, the gathered data is specific and clean. This is the fastest way to handle customer attrition. In case of proactive insights, the audience can be spread across the globe. These insights come with a lot of noise and are not segmented. This is one of the challenges with building a meaningful model for machine learning and producing a fruitful conclusion as an insight. The most time-consuming aspects are eliminating noise and categorizing it or segmenting it and finding a pattern. 
When I say segmenting, for example, in case of a software or hardware product, it is really important to know more about the user. And here the segments would be, what, are the what is the user's location, uh, demographics, their proficiency with technology and devices, etc. It is also important that the data collection component is embedded in the product and or, and or the process around it so that you have all the raw data as soon as it is launched. Those pieces of telemetry will help not only to quickly diagnose any issue, but also help in building an intelligent based model for machine learning. Got it. So um, how do you think product managers can really combine that uh, qualitative and the quantitative data? So, you know, both the unstructured types of feedback that uh, you have touched on uh, and also the quantitative stuff, the kind of data that you could measure, you know, the events, clicks, things like that. How do you combine between those? If you're gathering customer feedback actively via surveys, interviews, chats, consider your query list complete if it is both quantitative and qualitative so that you're collecting both the what's and the why's of the feedback. Quantitative data makes the results measurable. However, the qualitative data adds description and adds more context to the feedback. This can also help understand customers' feels for the product or experience and why they felt certain way towards the satisfaction or what truly happened when they considered their experience a disaster. So by making the feedback not just quantitative, but also qualitative, it helps get a complete picture of the valuable data. This makes the collected data have more relevancy and veracity. For surveys, we should include questions around reasoning instead of stopping at closed-ended questions like yes or no or multiple choice answers. And I think the survey should be simple so that it is easier for customers to fill in. I read a really good example of how qualitative data supplemented the quantitative and helped determine the response to a product. It is of a food service company uh, which had launched a brand of instant brown rice and they claimed that the rice could be cooked within 60 seconds. The product was out in the market for a few months and had negative reviews. A survey was conducted which included qualitative questions around likeness and satisfaction, but through the qualitative questions, they could deep, dig deeper into the process of cooking. It was actually later determined that the instructions in the box were not clear or easy to follow. Another example is when an app isn't working well on a device. While the quantitative part can help you learn information about the frequency of the issue, the qualitative feedback helps break down the cause in terms of what was the user flow, uh, what were the errors that the user received, and if the error was app-based or device-based or the way the app was running on the device. Got it. Uh, so that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you are talking about combining, you know, both uh, feedback that you you know you can ask for users for quantitative feedback as well so you have that and you have the qualitative part and of course uh, whatever metrics you use so uh, making use of all of these together and uh, the examples that you gave that makes a lot of sense and i have to say about the rice uh, you know if uh, if you can nobody should eat instant rice hopefully everyone <laughs> can uh, cook their own rice or get their hands on a rice cooker and uh, I, I don't wish uh, instant rice on nobody, but uh, I guess that's a, a separate uh, a separate question. <laughs> so uh, thank you for sharing. And uh, for the last question, 
if there were uh, a dream insight, something that, you know, uh, in reality, this is very hard to get, but a dream insight that you could get from your customers or from your users, uh, what would that dream insight be? Well, it's almost at the end of the podcast, but that's a great question to end on. Um, dream insight would be how to create dream customers by identifying the target audience for a new product. Apple is one of the best examples of a company who has a loyal set of dream customers that are targeted. Apple also does a really good job at providing a well-appreciated customer experience. The Apple Watch is one of my favorite Apple products and is a great example where its solutions in terms of fault detection to address the problem in the form of an accident is provided to the users. In short, Dream Insight would be connecting with the target customers and learning about their behavior patterns to proactively know their pain points and help arrive at solutions which are novel. One really good example that comes to my mind is of a startup called PillPack. This startup was actually bought by Amazon and it was a billion dollar acquisition. PillPack is a prescription home delivery system which helps address common inconveniences in the patient experience like standing in long lines, keeping track of expiration model dates, details around taking the pills on an empty stomach or otherwise. Imagine going through all that while you're not feeling well. But PillPack provides a seamless cycle for the user where all the communication and transaction happens from doctor to pharmacist to PillPack, making customized deliveries for all your medication and leaving it at your door with well-designed instructions and well-considered details like travel packs. Yeah, yeah, that has been uh, that has been a great area in recent years, and hopefully, we'll see more innovations in the coming years, right? Because a lot of companies are trying to solve both for um, you know the value chain for for drugs for pharma, in, especially in the U.S. is it's pretty contrived, and uh, you know the issues around pricing and access to you know to really across different uh, segments of the population and also making sure that people are, you know, actually compliant with whatever the doctor prescribed, right? Because, because of pricing and uh, access issues and also really just understanding how exactly you should be using uh, whatever the doctor prescribed, that's actually very tricky. So hopefully uh, we'll see more innovations around that. So uh, there's a, a lot more, a lot more people take whatever it is that they need to take and uh, their health improves as a result. So uh, that's a very interesting example. Um, well, uh, Rizwan, I really want to thank you so much for taking the time to participate in today's podcast and sharing with us and uh, our audience so many great insights. I think you have, uh, you know, really wide experience and uh, you worked on, you know, very technical things that are that bring great joy and uh, great value to a lot of people. So thank you for your work. And uh, it was super interesting to hear from you and learn from your uh, experience on how to balance uh, customer needs in the product strategy and roadmap. And I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you again for the wonderful time, Ithamar. Our pleasure. And uh, for our listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, and uh, we'll see you in our future podcast where we'll continue to talk about how to listen to your users, your players, and to make uh, great product decisions. So uh, thank you and uh, have a great rest of the week. And that's it for today. 
Let's Talk Customer Feedback is a podcast made for player insights professionals, player feedback enthusiasts, gaming industry experts, and anything in between. The podcast is created by Afogata, the AI-driven player feedback analytics platform that cuts through the noise and brings you the player insights that move the needle. In each episode, we have a special guest from the industry, including Afogata's own customers that share their knowledge on what player feedback and the voice of the customer means for them and the companies they work at. Follow Let's Talk Customer Feedback on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you'd like to know more about Afogata and what it does, go to afogata.com and get more info on our social media, searching for Afogata on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time. Don't keep your players waiting.